1: Time we're ever excited about sex. From now on it's first okay all I want to do is I eat I want to eat. I want you to eat. I want, you to want this shit. Do you want it do you want it show
3: me
4: it again Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane who goes by big orange vowels on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the Gators won and Cousin Shane's down another hundred bucks. I mean, as a Tennessee fan, I mean, I love
5: the SEC. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad they beat Miami. Whatevs. But. You know, they could have at least done it by the spread, Mike. You know, seven and a half is all it <laughs> needed. And I'm out here watching Felipe just fling his thing around, and I was very frustrated. And, I mean, if I'm a Gator fan, I've got to be a little frustrated because if it weren't for
4: that defense and special teams, I, I mean, they probably would have got beat, man. Mm-hmm. In my opinion on the game, Shin. let's just get into it here. Very sloppy contest. You know, that's somewhat to be expected, usually week one of the season. I always think the defenses are generally a little bit ahead of the offenses. But this game took it to another level because I think by the fourth quarter you started seeing some really stupid penalties. You start seeing guys kinda gassed out there. The that Orlando heat clearly got to him. And I've seen a lot of Gator fans, Shane, rallying to Felipe Franks. You know, they're they're supporting this guy, but he just doesn't have it. I mean that's something I've been saying his entire time, and you know, he's not terrible. I mean, he had that big throw, that uh, that, that pretty much won him the game. Uh, but let me ask you this, Shane, because I think, I don't know, I I think Felipe Franks is I don't want to call him mentally weak. I don't think that's the right term, but I think he needs he needs people to talk shit to him or something like that. Like that gets him going. Remember when he when it, uh, after he scored the touchdown? I, I believe it was the touchdown to P Ryan. That was the one. I don't know if you caught this, Shane, but he went over. The cameras caught it. Kurt Herbstreet mentioned it. He was talking trash with a Miami fan. That's That kind of sparked him. But up until that point, I mean, he's having interception. He's losing fumbles. Uh, he, it just didn't seem like he had his head in the game. And, and once he got that fire lit, it kind of came out of him a little bit. Yeah. You know, the thing about it, though, is like,
5: you know, honestly, we talked about this yesterday when I – or Saturday when I – place this bet mm-hmm. i started having second thoughts you know because some of the stuff that you've been saying some stuff i've been hearing i was like what if felipe didn't progress you know what i'm saying even dan was talking about oh man all the stuff he's done in the offseason it's even better you know he's just you know maybe i bought in a little bit more to what dan was saying but you know you look at the tail end of the season last year you know yeah south carolina they came out and they won that game but then uh do you have their Who'd they have after South Carolina? It was it was a no-name team. Who was the final, the final three
4: games they had? Yeah, Shane, so that South Carolina game, that came after the Missouri game
2: mm-hmm.
4: where he, he was horrible. Uh, he was getting booed at his own, own home field there against South Carolina, rallied in the second half, had a hell of a second half. I'll give him that. And then they played Idaho, which, I mean, why right. even count that game? And then at Florida State, this was legitimately the worst Florida State team in 30 years. Mm -hmm. and then Michigan, who had just gotten destroyed by Ohio State. You know, they thought they were going to the college football playoff, and I believe they had three or four people sitting out. And Yeah. uh, I mean, it was just kind of – That was the main one
5: for me. It's like a lot of people look at that Michigan bowl game, and they're like – but you've got to remember, Michigan just – it's a lot like Georgia and Texas. You know, I just right. – I don't – I mean, if Georgia and Texas play week two, I think we're going to see a, a – even if you took the exact same teams, I think Georgia would have killed them. But in this situation, same thing. I just think Michigan was just like, oh, man, we lost. You know, we're not, we're not in the playoffs. So they do not care about this bowl game, and it showed up. So then all this stuff's going in the back of my mind. I'm like – what if Felipe didn't progress, you know? And then when it comes out, yeah, I mean, granted, it was a sloppy game. And and what what sucks maybe for Florida is that it was against Miami. It wasn't against a Texas state or a you know, a Georgia State or something. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't right. a cupcake team. But this is not nowhere near the toughest team that they're going to have to play this year, especially defense. I mean, there's a, there's five other teams on their schedule right now that have a tougher defense than Miami. So when I'm watching this game and I'm seeing some of the balls that Frank's throwing and some of the decisions he's making, dude, I don't think he's progressed at all.
4: I don't know about it at all, but I will say, you know, let's not pile on the Gators. It's way too early to hit the panic button. They, yeah, got, the, they got the win. That's the most important thing. And, you know, last season they were struggling early in the year, lost to Kentucky, came back and went gangbusters there for a little bit. So I'm not totally down on them, but I've just been saying all off season, Shane, they're not a top ten team. I think they showed that on Saturday, and I heard some people. I'll t- my main takeaway from watching this game, Shane, was I don't even think Miami's that good. I don't understand. Yeah, there's some people said, well, this will be a top twenty five team here soon. They're they're going to compete in the ACC. I mean, I'm not seeing that. I mean, they had, what, they had two long runs because Florida forgot how to tackle and yeah. out, outside of that, I mean, the Gators, if you're a Gator fan, look at it this way. You turned the ball over four times, so you were, you got one turnover, so you were minus three against a power five team and you won the game. That's That's tough to do. That's not easy. So you have these mistakes. Franks was not sharp for most of the game. He did have that really good throw. But here's the most concerning thing. Now, this is not something that can't be resolved because I think last year at the beginning it was a little bit like this. But Dan Mullen offenses, Shane, I don't care about all these receivers. I mean, it's it's always good. you rather have all these receivers than not. Dan Mullen offenses are built on the ground, mm-hmm. and they just could not get anything going on the ground. 27 rushes, 52 yards on the night. That offensive line, what we've been saying all off season, Shane. That's the question mark. They have got to get the ground game going because what we saw from Felipe Franks, you know, he'll give you a hot quarter or two, mm-hmm. or maybe occasion, occasionally an entire game, but he is not going to carry you to an SEC championship. I don't care how many receivers you got, you've got to get this ground game going. Like I said, they got two weeks to to you know work on this. Yeah, but that, that's that's the main takeaway. Not hitting the panic button with Florida, but that's the biggest issue that I see. If they don't turn the ball over, they kill Miami. But they yeah. did turn they did turn it over, and you know that that's the biggest thing. And also, let's give Dan Mullen some credit, Shane, on that first possession, three and out for his offense. That it was a bad look, called the fake punt. Oh I mean, yeah, I, that was a hell of a call that led to the touchdown the next play. So, I mean, that was a game changer for for the Gators.
5: Oh, definitely. I thought I called like the riverboat gambler when he called that one, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, it is Monday. It's our first game. It's overreaction Monday. So maybe I'm overreacting a little bit just because maybe I lost a little money on this game. But (laughs) I will say that defense Looks legit. That front, especially the front four there, I mean, or front seven. Hell, they they had pressure on that quarterback all night long. You know, Uh, I I I was impressed with that. I was impressed with special teams, like you said. You know, it wasn't just the fake punt; it was the being there on the muff punt. You know, just it just seems like special teams was always in the right place at the right time. Um, I didn't see a lot from. I, I did. I wasn't totally impressed with the offense, but like you said. You know, they came out with a victory. That's huge because now they got two weeks to build off of that. So, um, you know, there's a little cupcake team in the middle. I, I think that this was a great season opener for them. I, this may be exactly what they needed. They got the game film, They can learn off this. And, and you know, it's going to be a while, but then they got Kentucky right around the corner. So they got to be ready soon.
4: Yeah, obviously you'd want your team to come out and kick ass. But if that's not going to happen, Shane. I think be, the best thing for you, being down in the fourth quarter, I mean, there was, I mean, there was serious doubt in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter that the Gators were going to win this game. They came back, they had a really strong end of the game and won it. I mean, mm-hmm. the, there was legitimate doubt there for a minute. So this type of win, the Gators come out of it and say, hey, we we could not have played much worse in a lot of areas. We still get the win over a rival power five team. I think there's a lot to build on there. And that, final thought on this one for me, Shane. Uh, the Miami quarterback? Does he is he not aware that he can throw the ball away? It just seemed like <laughs> it seemed like he just did, did not know that was uh, allowed. They may have picked the wrong one, Mike. <laughs>
5: as far, bad times I'm giving Felipe there. I just uh, maybe he should have retired there at halftime with Andrew Luck. You know, so um, I don't know, man. I, I like I said, I think I think it's overreaction Monday, and and I, I don't want to get too carried away because I did see a lot of good things. And I like the aggressive coaching of Dan. You know, it wasn't just that fourth down. It was, he. there were several fourth downs they went for. it, And it was just like, you knew if it was close that Dan was going to go for it. Why not? And I like seeing that. Mm-hmm. um you know that may catch him in a few games but i think it's going to win uh more often than not he put a lot of faith in that line the line that we're worried about you know on these fourth down situations so that's again that's something else that they can build off this is a whole new crew and it's going to take them a little bit to jail and who knows this offensive line could i mean they're going to get better the more that they play with each other and you know and i think felipe will too uh, because you saw a lot of, a lot of stupid penalties that, that they shouldn't have done, but this is first game of the season, so mm-hmm. you expect to see something like that.
4: Well, speaking of Dan Mullen and Felipe Frank, Shane, the Florida coach, that was the first thing they hit on or his presser after the game. Let's jump to Mullen and talking about the performance of his quarterback.
2: You know, one of the things he knows we're going to put the game in his hand and there's some things, some teachable moments – uh, in there and some things he can continue to learn but I, I think he knows we have the confidence in him to make plays and you know what one of the things I kept seeing from him is you know if even if even if, if things didn't go right you know we, we made a mistake he came right back firing you know what I mean there wasn't the hesitation uh, there wasn't any concern or lack of confidence in him and what he was going to do uh, you know and, and I, I was really pleased in that uh, you know last interception he gets hit you know and, and you know I'm 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 trying to think that shows what we're trying to do. I mean, I'm going to try to, you know, I'm putting the game into his hands, trying to, we thought we thought we had something there. We didn't. He gets hit. He was trying to throw it away. He gets hit. Ball kind of floats and gets picked. But that, that's on me. Um, no, and the other one, a little taking a shot down the middle. Throws one high, gets picked down the middle. Comes right back, though. His next pass is a strike for a huge play. Uh, and I think that shows his maturity and how he's continued to come back and and, and, and grown in this offseason. Just play the next play. Let's go.
4: All right, Shane. So Dan Mullins got confidence in Felipe Franks. He says he didn't have in the last year necessarily. I I don't know. I I'm not totally buying what Mullen's selling here. I think he's trying to build up his quarterback, letting him know. This kind of goes with what I was saying. Like he like he needs he needs his doubters, but I don't think he can have his doubters in this locker room, mm-hmm. Parti- particularly that last throw. I mean, you see you say it there, you hear it there from Mullen. You know why we they decided to throw it there when that god-awful interception by Felipe Franks he's talking about getting hit I didn't really he did get hit but it was after he threw the ball I don't know what he's talking about there I mean he threw it into three Miami yeah. players I mean uh, a redshirt junior players got to know to eat that or not throw it I mean you just you just can't have it and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know what are your thoughts on Mon Mullen talking about Franks here
5: kid gloves man he has got kid gloves on around this guy he does not want to mess with his psyche you know he just doesn't and anybody with two pair eyes saw that that was a bad pass. And and here's your coach at the end of the game taking responsibility for it. And I don't know. I want my quarterback to take responsibility for that situation, but it it feels to me like he doesn't want to – make Frank's damage goods or something you know and uh, you know he wants to give him the confidence in Ethan and maybe he's on something there you know because we don't know we don't know Frank's personally and maybe this is what he needs reassurance that
4: his coach has got his back through through the good times and the bad hmm now finally here from Mullen Shane talking about special teams that was huge for the gators it was the fake pun obviously but Tommy Townsend uh three kicks 134 yards punting, one of 50 yards, uh, all three down inside the 20. I mean, that guy's a machine. He, he made the case already for punter of the year in the SEC. I know uh, Braden Mann's going to have something to say about that in the end. But uh, special teams, I saw a lot of starting receivers playing special teams and gunner roles for the Gators. So this is a point of emphasis for Dan Mullins' program right now. And I thought it was the difference in the game.
5: Coach, obviously, you emphasize all three phases of the game uh, in, in special teams for you call the fake punt for you to get that muff um, and then for them to miss that kick. How, how critical were those moments in, in deciding the back?
2: Well I, I think it's such a it is so big and it's something that we stress so much within our team. You know, and, and I think it's such a great lesson for the young guys. You know, because you're looking at the guys that, that made a lot of the plays on special teams. You know, you're looking at, at a senior punter, you're looking at the senior starting wide receiver that's that's covering a punt, making plays. Uh, you know, and I think that really shows a lot about the team. I make mean, special teams something that we take a lot of pride in. Uh, we 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 stress a lot. We practice an off a lot. Um, you know, and I, I think when guys buy into that, and you start you start seeing the success of making big plays on special teams, uh, really probably the turning point of the game, or some of the special. You know, I mean the special teams tonight.
4: All right, Shane. So we all know Dan Mullen for his offense and his his defenses. While well, he's not the defensive coach. I mean, they're always tough-nosed. They love to blitz, play physical. Uh, but there's something to be said for his special teams, too. That's uh, not something they overlook in Gainesville. And I think it just won them the game here. I, I think you hit the nail on the head.
5: I think this really did come down to special teams. And a lot of people, if you go to these practices or you talk to these coaches right after they talk about the time they spent in practice, there's a lot of it that goes to special teams because – you know, sometimes it's just one thing, one thing that changes the momentum of the game or the outcome of the game. We saw it a muffed punt. You know, I thought the fourth down was big because then you got Tony going down the sideline. So you could honestly say that that, that was a 14 point swing for Florida, which definitely won them the game. So special teams are extremely
4: important. All right, Shane, it was great to talk football. Unfortunately, we only had one SEC game on the weekend. But we still got plenty of news to get around the league for people on Monday. So you ready to do it? Let's do it. Now let's go around the league.
0: league. We we haven't decided how we're going to play the guys. So I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. No, I mean, I'll be
2: whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. I'll play. I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, you just hear it over and over, and, you know, like every other, every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that you play at practice, so you just uh, you get used to it. It's a catchy tune, right? right.
0: This game's going to be a street fight. This game's going to be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully you do. Um, and you go back to it, man, this isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, man, it's time. It's time to put on the hard hat. Launch bell. Let's get to work.
4: All right, Shane, biggest news here in the SEC. (laughs) Mississippi State put on three years probation. This is something that we kind of knew was coming. We didn't really want to air it out on the podcast, but – you know, this is something that Mississippi State's been dealing with here for a couple of weeks. Going to have 10 football players suspended for a span of eight weeks. I mean, this is going to kill Mississippi State's depth. What was your thought when you uh, when this news broke on Friday?
5: That Missouri is still getting screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It's like, it's like identical. You got a, for the listeners
4: that don't know, can you kind of explain the situation? Absolutely. So they're still not naming the players. Apparently there's some law. They're not allowed to name the players involved for some reason. Don't ask me. I don't know, but basically they'll, they're liable to be sued if they reveal the players that were involved in this, but there is a tutor on campus. And my understanding is she was charging the players to take the exams for them and doing the classwork, what have you. And I'm told, Shane, this is not in the report or anything, but how they initially got caught, she was doing the classwork for the students while they were actually playing games. (laughs) (laughs) So she was submitting them while they were on the field of play. That's how this all went down. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically a very similar to the Missouri case. I believe the, uh, the Missouri tutor did not work with the NCAA. This Mississippi state tutor did not work with the NCAA. The, the NCAA can never force anyone to work with them because they can't, you know, they can't uh, take them to jail or anything. Obviously, it's not not the authorities or anything. So they just have to go with what they have to work with. Mississippi State complied and informed the NCAA, similar to Missouri. The only difference here, and I think this is what really saved Mississippi State, Shane. Uh, there is a new kind of NCAA rule where I don't know the exact specifics of what it's called, but it's uh, you can present your case. And then there's like an adjudication process that was not put in for Missouri because that was so long ago. This is something that's brand new. I think it's just like a year old. And that really saved Mississippi State's ass here. So they are hit with four scholarship reductions over a two-year span. So that's almost nothing. No postseason ban, which which is the good news. They got a small fine. And uh, that tutor can never be a tutor again. And uh, they're on probation for three years, which essentially, you know, it doesn't really amount to much. However, if they get caught doing anything, uh, I think the NCAA is going to come down and and just drop the hammer on them.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wish these tutors were around when I was in college, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Um, Well, let me ask you, and and we're going to get into Mississippi State here. About the Missouri situation, can do you think that this will benefit Missouri? If I mean, here you got a school just right down the street, that similar situation, and, and they're not getting a bowl ban or a postseason ban or anything like that. Do you think that this will help them in their appeal process? Well,
4: I mean, the NCAA is so damn backwards it may not, but I don't see how it doesn't. Because yeah. how, how can you hammer one program and not the other? And it's damn near identical situations. Uh, the NCAA, I think's already taken a black eye for how they're treating Missouri. And I think it's just going to get worse if they mm-hmm. don't kind of alleviate the bowl ban and let Missouri go to a bowl game. I don't, it just doesn't make yeah. sense. But like I said, NCAA makes a lot of stupid decisions. We're going to, we actually got, we're going to get into that <laughs> later with Tennessee, but uh, final thing here on Mississippi state before I actually, we got a really good interview lined up here. Wanted to get your thoughts on this, Shane. We were debating this on the last podcast, but after Tommy Stevens won the quarterback competition, Keaton Thompson enters the NCAA transfer portal not necessarily doesn't mean he's a lock to leave, but it certainly seems that way. I think you hinted at, you know, you strongly thought this was what was going to happen. I'm not surprised by the move, but I was surprised how quickly it came down. What were your thoughts when you saw Keaton Thompson had entered the portal?
5: Yeah. My thing is if you go back to the spring, the spring games, the spring practices, you know, coaches, coaches pretty high on Schrader, you know, now I, I think he's young and he's still got a lot of a lot of lot to prove, but you know when he was talking, even at that point before we even knew that uh, old touchdown Tommy was coming in, it just felt like Keaton was never settled in that spot. So the more the the more this has gone on, the less surprised that I, I'm actually. That he entered the transfer portal because obviously he's not wanted, man, and so he might as well go out and uh, try to find a starting job somewhere.
4: Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. So to dive a little bit deeper here on Mississippi State, I reached out to my buddy Jake Wimberly, and Mississippi State fans obviously know who this guy is. He's the afternoon ESPN Radio 105.9 FM radio host. Uh, he does a great job down there in Jackson, Mississippi. I think he's the best radio guy there in Mississippi. And you can follow him at Jake Wim. And he also has a website, Shane, the CFB Hourglass, where he runs his own analytics. This guy's uh, so not only does he know the Mississippi schools, but he knows the entire SEC and a lot of the teams around the nation. I just thought this would be the perfect guy to kind of jump into this situation. So we talked about uh, the, the bowl band, Keaton Thompson, and Mississippi State. And uh, I dropped in a little Tennessee for you as well. We're pleased to be joined now on the podcast by Jake Wimberly. He's on the afternoon drive from 4 to 6, ESPN Radio 105.9 down in Jackson. This is the top voice in radio in Mississippi, in my opinion. Jake, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it.
3: Mike, thanks for the kind words, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's a pleasure to be here.
4: So, obviously, we wanted to get you on. There's a ton of news here in Starfield at the end of the last week. So much going on here Mississippi State put on probation, and you know, I think for Bulldog fans, this could have got a lot worse, particularly if you look at what happened in Missouri. It seems, you know, the situation is very close to, strangely close, but the Bulldogs not banned from the postseason. What were your thoughts when you saw this news?
3: Yeah, you know, I was with you. I felt like it could have been a lot worse. Uh, you know, some things would have been a little different as far as, you know, what kind of fell out there. Uh, it could have been a lot worse for Mississippi State, and I think they pretty much acknowledged that as well. That you know, you got to give credit to John Cohen, the athletics director of Mississippi State, and to Joe Moorhead, and to you know even Ben Howland on the basketball side to kind of really get out in front of this thing and 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 take care of it. Uh, they didn't let it play out in the media uh, like sometimes we see these things play out. So you know, they did the right things. They they got they got out in front of it. They let the NCAA know, hey, look, here's what's going on, and the penalties. Now, you know, as far as it goes into this year. Um, you know, loss of scholarships a couple over the next two years, that's not too bad. Um, you know, the, as far as the loss of, I guess you could say, practice time and evaluation, not too bad. But this year, you know, we don't really know the players. We've heard speculation. We can't say the names just due to FERPA law and, and things of that nature. But 10 players, Mike, eight games, that's a lot of players. That's a lot of games. you got to think at some point that could come back to bite the Bulldogs in a game or two.
4: Yeah, and this is a really interesting situation here because I can't recall a time – there may have been, but I just don't know it where, you know, we get these suspensions and it sounds like Mississippi state, like you said, is going to be able to pick the games where they get suspended. Any idea how that's going to play out anything you're hearing, you know, obviously you would think maybe the non-conference games and then how would they go about picking the sec games? Any idea on that?
3: I haven't heard directly. I've heard that Joe Moorhead has, has already, you know, they've, they've been, they've known about this obviously for quite some time come up with some sort of an algorithm or some sort of a way to look at it, to try to lessen the blow through the season. And I don't know if that means putting guys on some sort of a rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, eight games, that's two thirds of the season. I don't know how much of a rotation you get on. Uh, if you do five, one week and, and three, the next or how you want to do it. And But yeah, I, I would think definitely you look at the non-conference games. Um, you know, you look at the four against uh, Louisiana, Lafayette, Kansas state, Southern miss, and then Abilene Christian at the end of the year. So you've knocked out half the suspension, but Mike, there's no way around it. I mean, 10 of these players are going to have to miss four SEC games it looks like and that's that's uh you know that's never a good thing when you start dropping players uh or putting them on a bench in an SEC game
4: There any chance you think some of these guys get you know now that with the new redshirt rule that they play in four games and just technically get a redshirt I mean is, is that something that you think could happen
3: I was told that could not happen uh, by two or three people in Starkville that cover Mississippi State on the ground there mm-hmm. that they basically have to serve out what is in, inside a an academic year, football year. So, you know, that was a big question at first is hey, can they take their four and then you know, but I haven't heard anything as far as maybe maybe doing four, doing a red shirt and then, you know, finishing up the uh suspension next year. But uh from what I've heard, that is not a possibility.
4: Okay. Well that's not obviously the only news down there, Mississippi State this week, Tommy Stevens named starting quarterback. I don't think that was a surprise to most people that cover in the team, fans of the team. I know you've been on that side for quite a while. And you also pointed out you thought Keaton Thompson was out the door if that is how it played out. And just a day later, Keaton Thompson jumps into the NCAA transfer portal. How does this affect uh, the upcoming year at Mississippi State, do you think?
3: Well, you know, if, if Steven stays healthy, then, you know, everything should be fine, you would think. But if he goes down, then, you you know, you turn to a redshirt freshman in Garrett Schrader, uh, or a true freshman, excuse me, in Garrett Schrader, you turn to someone else. I mean, you got to go really young and you know, I felt like Keaton would probably do this, not because of anything with Keaton, just, I mean, Mike, you know this, the climate of college football is, hey, if, you know, you can't, you don't get your starting job as a quarterback, you, you move on down the road. We're seeing that all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the college football playoff will probably be formed by a lot of transfer quarterbacks this year at, at Oklahoma and Ohio State and several other places. But, I uh, you know, I was a little shocked he didn't give it a little more time. Um, having said that, you know, I, I have not seen where he has left campus, so I don't know if that means he's going to, maybe put his name in the transfer portal and then maybe I'll be allowed to stay on the team. But regardless, this is a, this is a bad situation for Mississippi state down the road, or are not necessarily bad, but somewhat of an uncertain cloudy situation because let's play this thing out. Tommy Stevens plays this year. He graduates, he goes on to the NFL or wherever he, you know, his next journey in life, Keaton Thompson transfers. Well, then you're left with Schrader an incoming freshman, and, and Will Rogers, uh, you know, a couple walk on quarterbacks, so does that mean Joe Moorhead goes young uh, and takes his lumps next year? Does he jump back into the transfer portal? Uh, it's, it's not ideal for Mississippi State, but it's the climate of, of college football today.
4: Now getting to the upcoming season, with these suspensions, with these sanctions, with Keaton Thompson, his status up in the air, does this change the outlook at all for the Bulldogs in the upcoming season in your mind?
3: You know, not really. I had Mississippi State pegged at seven and five. I still, I still think that's an obtainable goal for Mississippi State. Now, if, if Tommy Stevens goes down or he's not, uh, you know, the, the trigger man, so to speak, that Mississippi State fans and Joe Moorhead and everybody that, that has seen him in the limited action feel like he can be, then that changes the entire narrative. But if he stays healthy, uh, you know, I think they've got enough n- enough on the defensive side of the ball. They're going to be, you know, thin somewhat between the tackles. So, you know, stopping the run is it could be a problem in some of the bigger SEC games. They've got some really good linebackers, really good on the back end defensively. You know, offensively, uh, hearing really good reports out of some of the young receivers and transfer receivers like a junior college wide receiver and then Kansas State transfer Isaiah Zuber. So, Kylan Hill, you know, if he stays upright, there's a, a lot of ifs in what I'm saying. But, you know, with a non-conference slate where Mississippi State should be okay, And then, of course, playing, you know, still an Arkansas team and an Ole Miss team that uh, you should be better than. And then, you know, having some games in there that could be some swing games. I still think Mississippi State could get to a bowl game. This could still be a successful successful year for, for Joe Moorhead in year two.
4: Let me ask you real quick here on Joe Moorhead. Obviously, you know, came in with some big talk last year, didn't necessarily deliver on it, particularly his offense. If they can't get that thing going with Tommy Stevens, with uh, Isaiah Zuber, Javante Payton, I've been hearing good things about the JUCO transfer. If the passing game does not get going once again, will the fan base uh, will they be out on him potentially, or is that am I taking too bold of a jump here?
3: No, I don't think you are. Uh, you know, I, I think that you're probably right, and I hate to, to put everybody in the fan base in one you know basket, so to speak. But mm-hmm. you know, a lot of frustration last year, and you know, Joe Moorhead has said that he probably made the expectations a little too high, Uh, you know, getting off the plane and saying, hey, size your ring up, size your ring up. (laughs) And, you know, I think that if, if it doesn't go as planned, which means, hey, show production in the passing game, show, you know, show, you know, much improvement, a lot of improvement on the offensive side of the ball, then, yeah, I think the fans, you know, they could check out of this thing. Not all of them, but some could check out of this thing fairly early.
4: All right, last thing for you, Jake. You started this. I'm crediting you because I think you you were the first one I saw do this. October 12th, Mississippi State at Tennessee. Seems like everybody in Hell State confident. Mississippi State walks out of there with a win. All of all nation on Twitter, extremely confident Tennessee is going to get that win. (laughs) I mean, I think this is basically a 50-50 game. I actually give the edge to Mississippi State heading into the season, even though it's in Neyland Stadium. How big of a game is this? Mississippi State at Tennessee. Who do you favor and uh why has this uh, been been such an outroar on social media this off season do you think?
3: <laughs> well, it's it's well, let's go to the outroar first. You know, Mississippi State fans and rightfully so, it's not just Mississippi State fans. It's it's college football fan. You know this, Mike. I mean, it's SEC fan. They they want to belong. They want to take the next step. They want to be the Alabama. They want to be the Georgia, the you know, the LSU type programs, the Floridas. And, you know, Mississippi State has had a nice run, a a really good run for, for, you know, you could even call it the golden years of Mississippi State football. You know, Mm -hmm. when Dan Mullen got there in 2009, going to eight straight bowls, uh, you know, Joe Moorhead was there, uh, or excuse me, got him to a bowl just last year in his first year. Mississippi State got to number one and was there for five straight weeks in 2014. Uh, They put a lot of players in the NFL. So Mississippi State fans feel like they have bought their time and it's time to take the next step. Now, it's way more difficult to take the next step than just to say take the next step because it's a lot It's a lot to go from eight, eight wins, nine wins, to ten wins, to eleven and, and be that. That's a huge jump in college football. Having said that, they look at Tennessee and they see that, hey, you know, Mississippi State played Tennessee in 1998 in the SEC title game. And then after that, you know, Tennessee had some nice years under Phil Fulmer and then that pro- program fell right on their face. Mm-hmm. And over the last ten years, Mississippi State has had, you know, on the field more success than Tennessee – but not that much more when you look at the overall record. So Mississippi State feel, fans feel like they belong. They feel like they're better than Tennessee. I give the edge to Tennessee by just a little bit. Um, as a matter of fact, on my analytics that I do, I've got them as a two-point favorite. That probably has a lot to do with being in Elon Stadium. So I think it's a one-possession game, and I think this game is a huge game for both teams because it could, it could potentially be the difference in going bowling or not for both teams. So I think it is a massive game, you know, crossover game in the SEC this year.
4: Yeah, it's almost like two ships passing in the night. Tennessee could be yeah. rising back in the SEC, Mississippi State falling back down. Or if you want to look at it in the reverse, Mississippi State maintaining upper echelon SEC team while Tennessee just can't get off the bat. So I'm right there with you. That's, uh, that's not a game a ton of people outside of Starfield and Knoxville have circled, but I think that's one of the more interesting SEC games in the upcoming season.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
4: All right, everybody, so that's Jake Wimberley, Afternoon Drive, 4 to 6, ESPN Radio 105.9 there in Jackson. you got to check this guy out. Give him a follow, at Jake Wim on Twitter. Jake, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it.
3: Hey, anytime, Mike. Thanks so much. Enjoy your week. All
4: right, Shane, so really, once again, appreciate Jake Wimberly jumping on with us here. I thought uh, that was a great interview and giving us some insight on what's going on down there at Mississippi State. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one?
5: Mm, I loved it, man. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, obviously he's pulling for Tennessee, so it's a win-win <laughs> situation. <laughs> no, I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, what thing, and also, man, gotta remember the nineteen ninety-eight SEC championship. Some say that is the greatest game ever played. You know, of course, we were, we did win that one, but. Um, <laughs> Maybe it's just me saying that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a magical season, Mike. Uh, anyway, back to Mississippi State. I think we're going to be able to find out who these players are. One of the great questions that you asked, because the first thing that I thought of is like, okay, why don't we just redshirt all these guys? You know, that's something I'd I, – I was thinking, and I'm glad you asked him.
4: Yeah, I mean that seemed like an obvious thing. I was not quite sure what was the deal with that, and I'm still not quite sure why it is. Uh, it, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see how they handle these suspensions. Nobody's really se- seems to know how they're going to do it. Uh, I had heard that there was going to be some back and forth on on letting them <laughs> pick the games. I, it seems kind of crazy that you're. Suspending players, but you let the team decide when that is. I don't know. It it just doesn't make any sense. But I think for the for the health of the overall team and the players, it it probably makes sense. You know, they don't want to handicap them so much. They're taking so many players away. But I don't know. Just a weird situation.
5: Well, and two, you wonder who it is. Well, I mean, we don't know. This could be a couple of like serious starters on this team. And Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we're gonna know week one when ten of them ain't dressed out. You know what I'm saying? It won't be hard to figure out who these guys are, but I think that's the biggest question mark for me. It kind of blows my mind that they can't say it because everyone is, I mean, if you're good at math, you'll be able to figure <laughs> out,
4: you know, which 10 did
5: not dress out that usually do.
4: If Tommy Stevens don't doesn't roll out, we'll know he'll be one of them, I guess. No. Huh?
5: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Could you imagine? Do you think I, that's why Keaton hit the
4: portal because he's one of them? No, I, I will say that because there was a ton of speculation that he was – and people, including uh, Matt Wyatt, the former Mississippi State quarterback, and he also does some radio, he has come out and been very adamant that he is not uh, – Keeton Thompson is not involved in this whatsoever. So there that was a rumor, but apparently that's not true. Let me ask you another thing.
5: Since my coach loves the portal so much, um, is there <laughs> any way that these guys could transfer out and not have to – I mean, would that count as part of their – You know, okay (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) i just figured pruitt had it on speed dial you know just calling down there so now these guys really made out if you know the way the way i'm hearing the story Mm -hmm. and uh honestly with with no band and i mean yeah you lost what two scholarships a year Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's nothing
4: they they really made out like a bandit here yeah they really did all right shane speaking of jeremy pruitt let's jump on down to rocky top Well, Pruitt met with the media, and uh, you know he revealed Daniel Batuli starting linebacker Shane out for a minor surgery. It sounds like he could potentially be back by uh, the end of the week, but that seems a bit optimistic to me. I think uh, you just don't roll him out for Georgia State. I mean, why put him out there? I think you're you really just getting him ready for BYU. What were your thoughts uh, when you heard Batuli was uh, having a little knee scope there?
5: Yeah, I, I think. I mean, Coach came out with perfect math so that he could be back for this game. You know, because <laughs> when he said it, you know, I was like, "Wait a minute, this is exactly when you said he'd be back." But I don't think. I don't think you roll him out week one. Tully's one of those guys that's been injured in the past, and why why risk it with a team that you should dominate? So I, I think I, I'm not even rolling out the BYU game. Not saying that we won't need him for the BYU game, but it would not surprise me if they keep him out all the way until we play Florida.
4: All right, Shane. So I think the biggest thing on everyone's mind here in Rocky top. Well, until Sunday, we'll get to that. But before that, Shane, Aubrey Solomon, why is this guy not eligible? Why is everybody in the nation found their waiver status? Mm. I mean, this guy transferred back in December, of 2018. Here we are damn near September 2019. We still don't know. And Jeremy Pruitt, and everyone on his staff, kind of every time they're asked about it, kind of, you know, they didn't really say, they don't really have much to say. Pruitt had a ton to say during his latest media availability. And I think he did it uh, in a very clever way. I'll, I'll touch on that on the back end, but uh, let's jump to Jeremy Pruitt and basically just getting peppered with Solomon
0: questions here on Rocky Top. End of the week as you head into game week on Monday. I'm assuming there's nothing new on Aubrey Solomon's situation. How does that change how you prep with him as you move into Monday? If you haven't heard anything, close the business today.
1: Well, we've not changed how we practice. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting how this transfer portal stuff works. You know, I'm a guy that's really been a, an advocate because I think that um, not, not necessarily that I want kids to leave if things get tough, not that, um, and when people elect to transfer that's not always the case right so um sometimes guys are looking for better opportunities uh sometimes it's just not a right fit uh and and hey sometimes maybe they might have messed it up right you know there, there, there's a bunch of every scenario is probably a little bit different um, but with this you know it then it's put on the the NCAA about, you know, to to kind of filter through all of it and figure out, okay, um, what's the justification for this guy to be eligible as opposed to the other guy, you know? So we actually had um, a couple of guys, obviously, that have left our program, uh, and I wrote letters to the NCAA um, on why I thought that they should be eligible at the institutions that they're going to go to, and I'm pretty sure they're all eligible. You know, so um, I don't know if that has anything to do with it um, as far as when they decide who's going to be Ellsworth, who's not. But um, I definitely know that that's happened in the past for us, for sure. Do you feel that it's unfair that he's having to wait this long
0: with you guys if you are in the game? You know, is it, is it unfair that, that you've gotten to this point for him and for the institution as
1: well? Well, what I think is unfair is – is every uh, person that transfers, okay, if they file a waiver, um, every, um, I guess, every player, every, every circumstance is completely different, okay, um, and, there, and there's a lot of them out there, right, so there's a lot of people that have elected to transfer, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that's filed waivers, but I don't think you can just kind of put a rule down and say this is the rule uh, and it covers every circumstance, uh, unless you actually do some investigating. You know, and I, I sometimes I don't think you can do it by, you know, by writing things down. Sometimes you need to possibly go to the place, talk to the kids, talk to the people there uh, to get an idea. So um, I don't know. I mean, there's a process. There's nothing we can do about it uh, but support our student athletes, and, and that's what we'll do.
4: For you guys, with the, the Aubrey situation, is there any, do you know if he's gotten any support from his previous institution to, to make him eligible here? And, and what is the sort of status um, for you guys? Are you kind of waiting to hear back? Or is, or is Tennessee sort of having to be proactive and trying to push for that? Or how, What's that situation at?
1: Well, um, you know, I don't know exactly what the previous institution has done. Uh, I know what we've done. Um, I know what we've done for young men that have left our program. Um, I'm not sure that that's the same across the country. Uh, I don't know that it – I mean, I can't say one way or the other, but um, you know, I'm pretty sure Mark Will Osborne is eligible at Charlotte, right? Um, and he just wanted an opportunity to play. That was it. Had no issues here. Done everything I asked him to do while he was here. And I wrote a thing up and – suggested that he's allowed to play and i'm pretty sure that he's going to be eligible don't quote me on that but i'm pretty sure that's the case
4: all right shane so i don't know maybe i'm reading a little too much into this but let me get your thoughts on it but from what i hear from this shane (laughs) jim harbaugh you know he's been very out there with just kind of like saying bad stuff about the sec He's mm-hmm. been very open with his players, like struggling to gain their immediate immediate eligibility this off season. Let's let's forget that he got Shea Patterson and, and won an appeal to get that guy eligible immediately. But it, you know, if it goes in his favor, he likes it. Mm-hmm. I, and I thought Pruitt just what he had to say here. I thought it was very, you know, it seems like he's come a long way in public relations since he first got to Tennessee. And I thought this was another step in the right direction because he's not calling out Jim Harbaugh. He's not calling out the NCAA, but he's saying, Hey, I step out and support these guys that give me everything I ask and it doesn't work out. I want them. I want them to work out. I want them to have a good end of their college career. And if he basically put it on, on Jim Harbaugh without saying Harbaugh, saying, if that guy doesn't, um, you know, that's on him. Mm-hmm. And who would you rather go play for? Would you rather go play for this hard ass who it's his way or the highway? Or would you rather come play for me who I'll give you everything I got if you give, if you do the same. And if it doesn't work out, we'll each go on our – we'll go out on good terms. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like – it's it just seemed like a really, really big win here, Pruitt over Hardball, in my opinion.
5: That's exactly right, and for the record, I hate Jim Harbaugh. So, you know, just throwing that out there, Mike. I don't like the guy. I don't like you because it's not just this. You know, it was just last week he was yelling that uh, SEC are cheaters. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's why. That's why they can't compete for a national championship. And it's just whoa, is me. I mean. You, you get I mean, you get paid a ton of money up there, and mm-hmm. you can't make it work. you can, I can't help it you can't get past Ohio State. Not my problem. You know what I'm saying? But every right. time you face an SEC team, we end up smoking them. I mean, he should be mad at Florida as many times as they gone up there and got their ticket. You know what I'm saying? Right. But this right here is a great way of coach calling out Jim Harbaugh without using his name. And, and I think it's very important – That you when you're playing for a coach like that, it makes me feel like he is looking out for my best interest because, you know, sometimes things don't work out sometimes. They don't have a place for you. And if it trans, and you know that your coach is going to have your best interest no matter what. I mean, that says a lot. And this is something you can use in recruiting. And this is something I hope that is used against Jim up there in recruiting. So um, this is just a, ba- a bad situation just because, you know, Jim's doing, if anything, he sent a letter to the NCAA on all the reasons why he shouldn't be eligible. I could see him doing something like
4: that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, without a, without a doubt, Shane. So, we got some other news here on Rocky Top Show. We get on this one quick. But, Brett, Jim,
5: uh, Jim, Har- Jim Harbaugh will not be a coach at Michigan in two years. I'm just telling you right now.
4: It's. You yeah, see the I mean, transfer portal to the NFL.
5: I think he's going back to the NFL, man, because he's going down swinging right now. And Ohio State's going to beat them the next few years. And not just them, probably Penn State, probably all them teams up there are going to uh, just – a lot of hype is going on Michigan right now. And mm-hmm. just wait, man. When they drop a game this year and then again don't make the playoffs, Harbaugh's out, dude. And he will not have a job in the SEC, I'll tell you that right now.
4: All right, Shade, sticking here on Rocky Top. Two bits of news here, one not as significant as the other, but still interesting. Jeremy Banks back at linebacker. I think they need to keep this guy at linebacker, Shane. I mean, they they keep going back and forth, we, fourth string running back. I think this guy could be a starter at linebacker. Tennessee needs help. I mean, they need help at both positions, but I'd rather have a good defense over a good offense I think that's how you win in the SEC. What are your thoughts on uh, Jeremy Banks practicing at linebacker once again? I, w- I just want him on the field. He's not going to get it at running back. As mm-hmm. much as I'd like to
5: see it, you know, it's just – it's not in the cards. We've got too much – we've actually got talent on that side. And, you know, a lot of people talking up this gray kid and uh, you got – I mean, we're just – we've got a plenty of running backs and – we're worried – I mean, we are – I don't want to say we're thin, but we do need help at linebacker, and Banks just needs to get on the field. He's, he's just a great athlete, and he doesn't need to just be sitting on the bench and playing special teams, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the drive. This is a kid – this is a prime example of somebody that could have transferred out because he didn't get his way, and that's not what you're hearing from Banks. Banks is all bought in the University of Tennessee, and I really like that
4: because he's willing to do whatever it takes to make the team better. All right, Shane. Finally here on Rocky Top. I guess we're calling this Eyelash Gate. No. Bryce Thompson. I think he's the best player on Tennessee's roster. Probably had well, maybe Garantano, but the best defensive player. Let's let's give him that one. Uh, involved in some shenanigans up there. It sounds like uh, I know he got arrested, but it was just a misdemeanor, and they're selling it as domestic assault. But apparently he didn't hit any anyone. Just made some verbal threats. Uh, what what do you make of this situation, Shane? Is, it, uh, is this much ado about nothing, or, or what's going on here?
5: <sighs> Mike, I'll tell you what. All right, I lost a hundred dollars yesterday. It really frustrated me, and then uh, or the day before, and then I wake up this morning with this news, and it was just a picture and bad bad things about to happen to Bryce. You know that's that's how my day started. But then the more and more that we hear about, it, I mean, we we're done. You know, we done kicked this guy off the team 10 times, it felt like, by the time we finally got the news. And we find out that his girl gets mad at him because she finds a fake eyelash in his room. They start fighting. He starts yelling and throwing stuff. Now, the witnesses, this is the bad thing. The witnesses claimed that he, what did he say? He was going to shoot the school
4: up, is what some of these witnesses are saying. Shooting, shooting Shooting them up with some W's, I thought. (laughs)
5: <laughs> well, I mean, you got to be careful. It's 2019, Mike. You, you really can't not be saying that. But on the flip side of coin, it's hearsay because mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, the witnesses may be her BFFs over here saying, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it could go either way. I've I've been around some angry, angry women in my life. I've got a house full of women, Mike. I've been on the backside of that, all right? And <laughs> they will throw you under the bus if uh, things ain't going their way. But... I mean I love him, don't get me wrong. And I let me just let me just calm down for a second. All right? <laughs> let me just clear my mind. I'm I'm not saying what he did was right. I'm not saying what he did was wrong because I was not there. Yeah, I the don't court...
4: think we, I don't think really anyone knows, Shane. I no, think I don't it. think we're going to get resolution until Jeremy Pruitt speaks on Monday. And even him, I don't think he's going to get too much into it. I think he's just going to say... Here's here's a 19-year-old boy. Let's say
5: he did say something stupid. 19-year-old kid, made a mistake, said a bad thing. You know, give him counseling. You know, give him something like that, something that he probably needs. I mean, and on the flip side of the coin, you've got somebody like Desmond Howard. That's right. I'm bringing up Michigan again. You got Desmond in Walt Disney World saying that he's going to slap a blank you know what I'm saying? On national TV. And Desmond still has a job, you know, ain't nobody fired him. And we're ready to kick this kid off the team because something that he could or could not have said we cannot substantiate with uh video evidence.
4: You know what I'm saying? It was it was choke a bitch, Shane, to get it exactly right. That's what Desmond <laughs> Howard said. That's
5: exactly... <laughs> he said this on national television, you know? Now don't get me wrong, I love the Chappelle show. And the Wayne Brady Act. Was fantastic. In fact, I watched it three times today. It was hilarious. But ninety percent of the world probably doesn't know. Ninety percent of the people at Disney, let's mm-hmm. say that don't know. And but he could say something like that. It's just uh, you know whatever. Just they, they're ready to bury a nineteen-year-old kid over something he said. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, uh, I
4: don't. I don't think. I think. Uh, I think this will be fine. I tr- I do. But I don't know. We'll. I think we'll definitely get resolution here on Monday. Yeah. All right, Shane, final team we got to hit on here. Let's jump on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll time! And Nick Saban met with the media. This was a couple days ago, but we haven't recorded since then. And, uh, you know, his presser was not that interesting, i got to be honest with you, Shane. But I thought this comment was good for, for a couple of reasons here. Obviously, Nick Saban's kind of a master of defensive backs, so that's important. Alabama's defensive backs kind of got toasted there against Clemson and Oklahoma and Georgia, so it sounds like they've made a lot of progress coming into this season. And finally, just because, I mean, you look around the league, Shane, Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, and I think you could even make the argument Auburn, all those defensive coaches they all learned under Nick Saban, so they kind of all have the similar blueprint for what he's doing with his defensive backs. So I just wanted to jump here to Nick Saban talking about his defensive backs because I think it just uh, it, it really relates to so many teams around the
0: SEC. Just going back to the secondary, I know every single team is different, but in an ideal situation, how many positions do you want each guy to know and why is that so important? Well, I don't think it's about how many guys, how many positions each guy knows because some guys are only capable of playing one position. I think the most important thing is, is that you have enough guys on your team who have the diversity to learn more than one position, if that makes sense. Um, So we're fortunate, I think now, that we have a lot more guys this year that can do that. It's it's very similar to the offensive line. You know, if you only have guys that can play tackle and you only have guys that can play guard and you only have guys that can play center, if one guy goes down, you can't get the best five guys in the game because there's no diversity to move guys around. Same thing in the secondary. You have one guy go down. You know, if you have diversity, you can still get the best guys in there that have the most experience because they, they have the diversity to be able to play multiple positions. And you're not forced to put somebody in as a backup because nobody else can play that position, even though you have better players on your team, if that makes any sense, that have more experience. So, like, you know, Shaheem Carter can play star, money, either safety. Uh, X plays safety and money. Um, Patrick can now play corner and star. Um, Jared Maiden can play either safety or star. Um, you know, we've taught DeMarco Helms to play safety and money. Um, Jalen Armour Davis can play corner and star. I mean, we have a lot more guys that know a lot more, you know, about the various positions, but, you know, that, that comes with experience because young players usually learn one thing. And then once they learn that one thing, like we made, we, we, we attempted last year to play Patrick at star and then we said, we can't do that. He can just play corner, all right? So it's too much for a young guy. Um, so he just played corner all year. So we have some of those guys now have a years more experience because we really had all new guys in the secondary last year. So it was, we didn't have a lot of diversity in terms of multiple position players. We have a lot more of that now.
4: All right, Shane. So Saban's pretty fired up about his defensive backs and all the roles they can play. And I thought it was particularly interesting how he noted Patrick Sertan. You know, kind of, they may have tried to force him to. I don't want to. That's probably the wrong word. They tried to get him to, you know, play multiple positions, and he kind of got overwhelmed. They had to just stick him at corner. And Sertan had, you know, he kind of struggled early in the year, but he really came along. So that was probably part of the process, him just just fully grasping the cornerback position. Uh, but Alabama DBs and all those other teams I hit on, Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Auburn, these guys kind of have to rotate around in the system because that's that's just the way, you know, you got to get your best five, six guys out there. Uh, what was your thoughts on uh, Coach Saban breaking down their defensive backs and And how big would it be for them to have a better pass defense this year? I think it's big, you know. Like you said, those kids were young
5: last year, and they've got a a year of experience under their belt. Now you can start teaching them different positions. It's really hard when you get somebody new in. I mean, think about it. If if you're a 16-year-old kid and your first job's at McDonald's, and you come in and they're not going to teach you how to make hamburgers, collect money, You know what I'm saying? Sweep the floor. Do all these different jobs. They're going to teach you one job. And when you get that down, then they're going to make you, uh, maybe allow you to do other jobs at that restaurant. You know, it's just, you don't, somebody new like that, you just can't do it. There's a few people, though, that that have that capability. They could come in and are quick study. You know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. But it, it seems to me like Sabin feels a little bit more confident with these guys now that they do have more time under the belt, which makes should make you feel better as a Tide fan, knowing that these players are now at that point where they can learn other positions to help the team out.
4: All right, Shane, so that's all the news I got around the league. Man, we got one game in. It feels great. I can't wait. Here in a couple days, we're going to be breaking down all these games. I don't know, man. It's football time. Saturday night was epic. I'm ready for some more. What about you?
5: Dude, I'm pumped. I know. Here I waited all season, and out. it sounds like I'm, I'm irate. I'm not. I am so happy that football <laughs> here. I tell you, it was a long day Saturday, Mike. I'm telling you. I got so excited. We get up, and we watch game day, and then it's like, we gotta wait till seven. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so what do I do? Take a nap? I don't know. So uh, I'm excited because football's here. We're gonna have some more games Thursday uh, and then Saturday a full slate. I'm looking forward to it, man.
4: Yeah, don't forget Thursday, Shane. Obviously Texas A&M kicking off the season against Texas State. So we're gonna be tuned in for that one. But also on the docket, Tennessee fans need to be aware of this Utah. And BYU—that's your week two opponent right there. You get a get a preview of the the Cougs before they descend on Knoxville. So that's going to be a really good one on Thursday. So I'm just fired up, Shane.
5: Heck yeah,
4: man! I'm ready.
5: I love it. I'm—it's football season, baby. You know. In fact, I got up this morning. It felt a little cooler outside. It may have just been my mind <laughs> playing tricks on me. I don't know. We ain't sweater weather yet, but we're getting there. <laughs>
4: All right, Shane. That's all I got. You got anything before we hop off here?
5: Yeah, buddy. Got a couple of reviews. Oh. Thank you for being a friend. I appreciate everybody taking the time and hanging out with us. Uh, it's football season. You know, you put in the hours in the off season just like we have, and we got football. We're actually talking real news. I love it, man. Even though I got a little fired up today, I apologize, but I appreciate everybody taking the time to get a rating and review in, especially those that went a step further and gave us a written five star review on iTunes. Uh, the first one here comes from Beat Bama 2019. It's five star labeled Great Podcast. Love the podcast. Nice to have an unbiased view on each team in the SEC. Ready for some football war eagle. Woo. Well, Beat Bama 2019, I appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we really appreciate it. This comes from D Love, 1981 Most informative show going on right now. Five star. This is the best show for information of all the SEC teams. I love the uncut, uncut coaches' rants when the show is coming. Non, it's hilarious. Great way to start the day to get caught up on the SEC football. Out of all the radio shows and podcasts about college football, This one is the best. D-Love, I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, sir. And one last one. This one's coming from Hardy, 2014. Best SEC podcast, five-star. As a diehard Texas Aggie fan, this is a well-rounded SEC podcast. Love being able to keep up with the latest news around the SEC. My go-to podcast. Thanks for the great content and humor. Gig'em. Thank you, Hardy. I
4: appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. And Shane, that's not the only review we got. We got a one star. We're not even gonna give this guy credit. We're not gonna give him a shout out or anything. But he called us a dig- disgrace. He said we curse too much. And anyone out there that likes the show, please give us a five star heart. Kind of average us back out. We want to get all. Of, we want to have a five star heart rating. And that uh, one star may dock us a little bit. We appreciate all the five star hearts we get on the show. That really means a lot. That's why we're doing this. We're giving you five shows a week. I don't know anyone else that's uh, out there doing it, but uh, we just we just love doing this show. We like talking some football with y'all. So, uh, yeah, we just keep them coming. We'll keep doing it. All right, Shane, that's going to do it for us on this one. Let's finish, I think we started the week strong. Gonna round this sucker up, Shade is week one. I'm ready for some football.
5: Heck yeah, baby. Football is here. Football's been on the TV. We got more football coming up. I just love it. I'm consumed with football. I'm doing fantasy drafts. It's just like a football overload, and I really appreciate uh I appreciate you,
4: Mike. I appreciate all the fans. And that's all I got, man. All right, Shane. I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you for tuning for joining me as always. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All
5: right. See you guys. Go vols. Dan Walcon tweeting about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Did, Did you he? see that? Yeah, no, Dan I, I don't follow. I don't follow him. Came out of his cave and tweeted because he saw something negative about Tennessee. You know, I think he's got like negative Tennessee tweets activated notifications and Greg Schiano. And if he hears any of those, he's ready to get there and defend. You know, or just throw us under the bus. It just drives me nuts. All right, next one comes from D Love, 1981. Five star, most informative show going right now. This is the best show for information on all the SEC teams. I love the uncut coaches rants when the coach when the show is good. God, Mike, let me try that one again. Okay. This man, that's a lot of words, man. He got me there. He got me. So let me try this again. All right. <clears throat> Hell yeah, Mike. Now, see now, I feel like I'm forcing it. I feel like I'm trying to say like, okay, here we go.
4: Ready? Mm-hmm. Just say "Go Vols" or whatever.
5: <laughs> okay, just get off the phone. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, yeah, man. Uh, okay. Well, all right, brother. I will holler. No, if I don't, we're not on the
1: phone. Just give me a second, Matt. Let me just close it out here.